All right, good evening. We start by reading in the book of Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 1. The scripture says in Mark 6, verse 1, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Hoses, and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Our message tonight is entitled, God's Word is Our Guiding Light. Let us pray. Father God, we just ask for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we go through your Word, Lord, you would show us great truth and great teachings. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting, this story, because Jesus actually returned to where he was from originally. He went back to his hometown. And after all of the great things that Jesus had done, after his reputation preceded him, you would think that going back home, he would have received a hero's welcome. But the scripture says that even when Jesus went back home and where he, when he, when he landed back uh, where everyone knew him, they, they could not make the jump from Jesus the carpenter, Jesus the son of Mary. They, they knew his brothers and his sisters and they could not make the leap from Jesus as a simple young man to Jesus the Messiah. So they doubted his word. And the Bible lets us know here what are the results of questioning God's word. When we disbelieve that God's word is true. The Bible says in verse 5, he could do there no mighty work. Jesus's, uh, uh, I don't want to say his ability to work miracles, but his propensity to work miracles was blunted. He did not do what he did in a lot of other places because the Bible sets up a contrast. If you go back one verse, uh, one chapter, sorry, in Mark 5, and you read the end of the chapter, you find that there is this, um, this leader of the synagogue who really should have had no dealings with Jesus, but his daughter had fallen ill, and Jesus was kind of heading his way, so he sent for Jesus. And as Jesus was leaving to come to his house, a woman with an issue of blood stopped Jesus. I really didn't stop him, just barely touched the hem of his garment and was healed. And you know the story, Jesus stops and tells her that because of her faith, she has been made whole. While all of that is going on, someone else comes, a messenger comes from this man's house and says, you know what, Jesus, there's no real reason for you to go all the way to the house anymore. The, the young girl is dead. Jesus says in Mark 5, when you look at what he says, 
he says in Mark 5 and verse 36, he says, And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Jesus takes a few of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they run, and he cometh to the ruler of the synagogue, and said, and, and he saw the tumult. The Bible says, why make this a do and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. People laugh Jesus to scorn. But I want to show you the contrast. The ruler of the synagogue believed, and watch what happens. The Bible says in verse 41, he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve, and they were astonished with great astonishment. So there are two contrasts. When you believe God's word, even though someone is dead, they can be brought to life. You see, Jesus is God's word. The Bible says in John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So powerful is God's word that when Jesus speaks, it is a divine uh, 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 procession coming out of his mouth. So the same Jesus that says, damsel, arise, is the same Jesus who said, let there be light. And just as when he spoke into full darkness, the words, let there be light, light appeared. So when he speaks into death, arise, even death disappears. So powerful is the life-giving force that is Jesus, that when Jesus, when Lazarus died, uh, Jesus took his time to get there because Jesus said, had I been here, had Jesus just been in the room with Lazarus, death would not have been able to take Lazarus. So powerful is the life-giving word of Jesus that when he calls Lazarus from the grave, he has to say, Lazarus, arise. Because had Jesus just said, arise, come forth, every dead person who was righteous under the sound of his voice would have gotten up and walked. So powerful is the word of God, yet the word of God is under attack. You see, there are many who are now thinking that they are so smart, so wise, so so filled with manly and earthly brilliance that they want to question God's word. There are doubters by the thousands, and ironically, the greatest doubters and attackers of God's word now come not from outside of Christianity or outside of where Jesus really should abide, his hometown, his own church. It comes from inside of his church. Ironically, the greatest uh, 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 antagonists against the Bible as the word of God, as infallible truth, come from Christian scholars. It's amazing, as I preached last weekend on campus at Loma Linda, a student stopped me as I was trying to get away after the last session, and he said, listen, I'm a student at La Sierra University. I'm worried because I have a class. And in this class, they are it seems as if they're attacking God's word. It's a religion class. And when he began to explain to me some of the things that were being taught and said, I said, that's satanic doctrine. Some of these ideas basically are saying you can't be lost. That God is so merciful that no one will ever be lost. I said, how could they teach that? I want to submit to you that that knowing God's word comes not from understanding that can be accomplished simply simply with your five logical senses. But if you are going to know God and and get to a real understanding of his word, there is a sixth sense that must come into place. And that is faith. 
You must begin to be able to see that which is invisible if you're going to understand God's word and accept it for yourself. But the problem in our modern era is everything is touch and feel and smell and taste and and we see and and we're so confident in the intelligence of the scientists who invent the phones that we carry and and design the cars that we drive and, and we, we're so confident in man's intelligence that we often miss man's stupidity. On YouTube, there's a big debate going around. I was sent an email. I read it today on YouTube. Uh, they showed this video in England. This uh, a man who is probably the descendant of Christians. I have a book in my library at home. I'm just putting together my library and I have a book called the, the Celtic Connection, and it speaks of how the man that we call Saint Patrick, when he got when he began to evangelize the British Islands, he was a Sabbath keeper, an apostolic Christian who preached the gospel on the British Isles and converted all of the pagans of the British Isles to Christianity. And it's amazing when I hear this, a, a, a man on one of those aisles would, would speak with such intellect and yet such stupidity as he tries to destroy God's word. He says to believe in God is foolish. If there was an intelligent being in control of this universe, the universe wouldn't look like this. And it seems to make so much sense. But but let's back up for a second. If there was no one intelligent in control of the universe, well, do you really believe that everything around you could have happened by chance? Have you ever played the lottery? Don't raise your hands. The chances of winning the lottery are between 1 in 4 million and 1 in 40 or 50 million if you're playing one of the Powerball games back east. The chances of getting struck by lightning are 1 in 400,000. Lightning is usually, except for these few years of these big hurricanes lately, lightning is usually the number one weather-related weather, cause, weather uh, death um, scenario. Normally, every year, more people die of lightning strikes, basically, than anything, than any other weather condition. Lightning. Now, how many of you really ever worry, especially in Southern California where it hardly even rains, how many of you really worry, even in a thunderstorm with lightning, that you're going to be struck by lightning? Yet, the chances of being struck by lightning are often 40 to 1,000 times better than you winning the lottery. And guess how many people play the lottery every week? Millions. They say the lottery is tax for people who don't know math. Because if you really knew your math, you wouldn't waste your money on the lottery. Somebody over here got that. That's good. Now, I say all of that because they want you to believe that the entire world came into existence by accident. If you can't by accident win a lottery, do you believe by accident you could have the perfect mix of nitrogen and oxygen and carbon dioxide in the air? By accident, the earth would be placed just the right distance from the sun so that the atmosphere and the temperature would be conducive to human and, and all of the other life forms that we have on earth? You think by accident the water would be made of H2O just the way it's made and our systems would be designed so that we could drink water and be replenished because ultimately by weight we're 70 to 75 percent water. Do you think it's by accident that you have the ability to see? One of the most complicated things in all of the universe is human sight. It would have taken, even evolutionists agree, it would have taken millions of years for human sight to evolve. 
Now, if you need it, and so you evolved to have it, what do you do all of the million years you didn't have it? Doesn't make sense. You need it, so you evolved to have it, but it takes millions of years to get it. So for millions of years, you're blind, but you really needed to see. I submit to you that even in their wisdom, they are made foolish. And it's taught in the public schools. Our, and our kids who go to public schools are often so confused because it sounds so intellectual. It sounds so rational as you hear it. But I'm telling you, like the people of Jesus' hometown, uh, uh, even when powerful light is given to man, man often refuses it. And I'm telling you here, as, as a physician and a scientist and a researcher, that when you really study what God has made, there is no conclusion you can come to except that God has to be on the throne. There's really no other conclusion you can come to. When you look at the human liver, for instance, the only part of the human body that has powers to regenerate is also the only part of the human body that really is able to break down poisons as they come into our system. It's amazing when you look at the, the kidneys or, or you think of the processes of the frontal lobe of your brain. Amazing as you think of it, yet there are those who would say, you are simply a monkey who has evolved. And yet they can show you no missing links in between the monkey and you. Yet the world believes it. There's a book that you must read. I, I've been thinking about this book a lot lately. It's called A Trip into the Supernatural by Roger Murnau. And there's a, a video set. And one day your church would show these videos for AY in the afternoon. Uh, we did it at, our, at Rubida, which our church actually was just around the corner, um, uh, just off of Jerupa, just, just within like a couple miles of here. I used to cut through here to get to church sometimes. And we moved. We are all the way downtown Riverside now. So I know this area. I'm familiar with it. We've canvassed this area as well for meetings and so forth. Uh, we showed the videos at our church. We brought it, we tried to get the community even to come out. Roger Minot says something powerful. He says that evolution is such a powerful thing. He used to worship demons, give you a little backdrop, and he came out of demon worship and became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. It's a powerful testimony. He, he says when he was worshiping demons, before he became a Christian, he was in the demon temple and they were talking about things that the devil was happy about. One of the things he says the devil was happy about was that man had bitten or believed in evolution. He said that the devil rejoiced that men had believed in evolution. So much so, he said, that when people stand up and become teachers of evolution, the devil protects them. He puts protection on the professors in the universities around the country, gives them supernatural power to sound even more intellectual. You've got to see the videos so that you can hear it from his own mouth. It's powerful. But it makes sense. Because some of you may not realize this, but you are in the middle of a great war. And it's not the war in Iraq. It's not uh, the war in the Sudan. It's, it's not the war in Afghanistan. It's not the war for your votes tomorrow on election day. This is a greater war. This is a war between good and evil, the real good and evil. It is the great controversy between Christ and Satan. And if the devil can do one thing that would give him victory over you and cause you to be lost, it is to convince you that you cannot trust God's word. That is the key, you see. Everything bounces back to this. Every other religion I've ever studied outside of Christianity uh, that, that, that is pseudo-Christian always attacks God's word. Why? Because God's word is the text. I don't know if it's still up there. The next slide. God's word is a light. 
Psalmist David in Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, if you don't know God's word, you stumble through life on earth. Like when you wake, like if the power goes out in a house that you're not familiar with, you might trip and fall over furniture not knowing where you're going. To live life without knowing God's word is to stumble around in darkness for the 70 or 80 years or 90 years or 100 years that God would bless you with. Without God's word, you are walking in complete darkness. Isn't that powerful? So, of course, the devil doesn't want you to have the one flashlight that would make you able to find the road that leads to heaven. So he attacks God's word constantly, every day, all day. But God, you know, God is a powerful God. He's so powerful that over 1,500 years ago, I believe it is, no, it's more than that. It's actually over 2,500 years ago. There were a group of Jewish scholars who used to keep all of the all all of the writings, and they would write them. And the Jewish scribes were so exact. I spent two months in Israel in high school, and they brought us to where the scribes would have been working. And the scribes were so exact, they had to try and write the the Bible out by memory. Sometimes, if they made one slight mistake, they had to start from the beginning. There were no video games back then, so they had a lot to do. One of the things that God did is he had some of these scribes, some of these protectors of the word, put the word of God, the Bible of the time, in jars and hide them in a cave at the southern end of the Dead Sea. So all the while, the critics came against the Bible. They said there was nobody named David. They questioned almost every Bible character in the Old Testament. They said there was no real Isaiah. He couldn't have really lived. And they put all of the things in. They said the Bible was tainted, twisted, that it had been misinterpreted, that the translations were wrong. And all the while they said this, and then in the 1950s, I believe it is, a little shepherd boy was taken after World War II, was out there playing, and threw a rock into a cave and heard a jar crash. He climbed up the cave side and walked into this cave and found there jars, clay jars, filled with scroll papers. When he went back and told his, the leaders in his town or wherever he was from what he had found, they came back with archaeologists and teams and found what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. What's powerful is the Dead Sea Scrolls have many of the ancient books and even some of the apocryphal books all written there, and all of the Old Testament of the Bible One of the books, the only book actually that was found in its entirety is the book of Isaiah. Powerful. When you translate that ancient Hebrew to modern English, like the King James Version, there was no difference. The word of God had almost been perfectly preserved. And of course, it's interesting that the book that was held in in its entirety would be the book of Isaiah because it is called the Messianic book of the Old Testament. It is the book with the prophecies that predict the coming, first coming of Jesus. So there's no question, and it, it assured them of the, of, the, of the existence of David and Solomon and other heroes. I'm telling you this because some will question whether or not this is really God's word. I'm telling you that God's word is sure, and I'll finish on this, because God's word is also sure because God's word is a book of you see, when God spoke, he, he gave little things like in Isaiah. He said that a man would, a, a child would be born of a virgin and, 
and, and the government would be upon him. And, and he throws out all kinds of hints of how he would suffer and die. All of the little things, even in the books of Moses, there are little hints, little prophecies about what would happen to Jesus. Over 300, and all of them were fulfilled in Jesus. So powerful that Josephus, a great ancient uh, Jewish historian who wrote about Jewish history, even Josephus, who never became a Christian, even in his writings, if you go and get Josephus' books or look them up online, Josephus says, talks about Jesus, and at the end of describing Jesus, he says, and this man was the Christ. I'm going to tell you that if you really want support for believing in God's word, it exists. Because what the devil wants you to do is have no way to deal with life. If you don't have God's word, how do you deal with life? How do you know what's right or what's wrong? How do you know which way to go? When you pray, how do you receive answers if you have no word to go back to? Go to the next slide. Let me show you why that's so important. Because the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And John says the scripture cannot be broken. I submit to you tonight that if you want an abundant life on earth, that you study God's word fervently, that when you are in trouble, when you're contemplating marriage, young people, you don't just run off to Vegas in in, in an emotional outburst, defying everything your parents might be saying. Instead, you go to God's word. Does your spouse-to-be, or maybe spouse, I should say, Does that person line up with what God says? Does their character fit the character that a Christian husband or wife should be? When you go to find to have a career and and you're debating, what does God want me to do with the rest of my life? Do you go to God's word and study it and read it and ask God to show you a direction as to what to study? As a parent, when you go, when you have difficulty with your children, do you Go back into the book of Proverbs and read these precious truths that have been preserved for us so that we would be better parents. I submit to you, if you don't live your life based on this, all you're really doing is stumbling around in the darkness. The Bible says we were once darkness. The Bible says now are you light. Walk as children of light. Tonight God's word is light. As we go through this week, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. But I submit to you that this is why I'm a Christian. Because in these pages, I know the character of the living God. He speaks through these words. And I know that he is a God of love, a God of mercy, but that he is also a God of justice. And I hope that you would find God's word refreshing. Out of patience who was debating just a few weeks ago, actually, I saw this man, and he came in with his wife and his three, two or three children, and he was so angry. But he wouldn't show it. He he was working 10-hour, 12-hour days. He couldn't sleep. He He was frazzled. He had not taken a vacation in five years. His wife had not gone anywhere, except he was going somewhere that was related to business. He was sitting there in the urgent care at Loma Linda, and he was telling me how he's so anxious and he has all these problems. And of course, what people come to me and they want is to be written for Prozac or or Zoloft or some other anti-anxiety medication. They want me to write them for Ativan. But often the Spirit of God moves on me. I pray and ask God to show me 
what is really going on with this person? As I began to continue to talk to him, he began to reveal that he was once a Seventh-day Adventist. He married his wife. He married a wife who was Catholic, but neither of them went to any church. His wife actually said, I don't care what church we go to. I would love for us to go to church. And he said, you know, I was raised in the system. He went to Loma Linda Academy and he went to La Sierra University and went to PUC for a while. He was raised in Adventist education, but he had turned and walked away from it all. Because he got into law school and he thought being a lawyer would satisfy him. It would fill him. He would be completely content if he had that kind of career. He was a son of immigrants, and so his father boasted and bragged that his son was a a lawyer, and somehow the son bought the lie that that being a lawyer would cause him happiness. So here he is now, having in the middle of a literal nervous breakdown, unable to go to work for three or four days. The first time he missed that many days of work in five years. At times, he said, even suicidal thoughts would come to his mind. And I said to him, don't you understand that God is still working on you? Even though you've disbanded God and turned away and have turned to your own way and you think your wisdom is higher than God's wisdom, you see God has played a funny kind of practical joke on you because I'm one of the few doctors you'd probably run into who won't write you for those medications but will send you back to your roots and tell you you need to go back to church, start reading God's word and praying with your family and you'll be healed. The man began to weep. His wife began to weep. And right there, he began to recognize that he felt empty because he didn't even like being a lawyer. As a matter of fact, he hated it. He wanted to restore cars. That was his passion. I said, listen, because you have walked in your own wisdom, you have sown, you're reaping what you have sown. You've sown in the wind, and now you're reaping in the whirlwind. Go back and find the God who educated you. And stop thinking you're smarter than the God who raised you up. He put his arm around his wife, and I said, take your wife on a cruise or something, man. 18 years, you ain't take the woman on a trip. She, of course, was beaming. Instead, could I write that on the prescription? But I'm telling you, when you walk away from this, you stumble in darkness. I don't care how much money you make, what your title is. Without God's word, we're empty. And like they used to say at the VA hospital and addiction medicine floor, God made the human heart so big that only he can fill it. The addicts taught me that, and I believe it. Tonight, I'm telling you, if you want to fill the hole in your life, study God's word. Read a psalm every morning. Study one Bible character every month. Read the book of Mark if you're just jumping back into the Bible. But study, study, study to show yourself approved unto God. Because I'm telling you, in an age of all of this electricity, it's terrible to be stumbling through life in darkness. Amen.